What a, what a great song, what a great question. A lot of times when you come to church or you wrestle with your faith, you're looking for answers. And I'm like a person who is in a position where people actually uh, come to me and they look for answers. And there's a great question to ask about what it means to be human. It's one of the most important questions you could ever ask. But what I found as I've gone on this journey to try to help people understand what it means to be human, that my job is not to give people answers, but to lead people to ask more questions. Uh, You might think that church or a relationship with God opens up a door And then inside that door, there are a bunch of answers and there's a bunch of walls and there's a bunch bunch of things that make sense and settle you down and clarify things. But actually, the Christian journey and what it means to be human and how that interplays with who God is, is more like opening a door into a room that has no walls. It has no boundaries. It just kind of starts a whole sequence and spiral of more and more questions. A lot of times people come to church looking for the last word. And what I found is that when I'm doing my job well, all I do is give you the first word, the beginning of something new, of a journey to go on, to ask some new questions. And uh, I wanna start today with asking a question that helps lead you to a question. And then hopefully over the next couple weeks, we'll ask more questions and we'll have more dialogue and we'll discover what a part of what it means to be human is really all about. I was raised to think, and I grew up kind of thinking that in order to fix something that's wrong, you have to reach into the unknown, spiritual realm for the solution. You have to kind of lean on something, or you have to have some type of idea in your mind about what faith is, or you have to pray hard enough, or you have to say the right thing, that you kind of had to take whatever problem in the world you have, and you had to lean into something that you can't see in order to find the solution. But essentially, every solution that worked grew out of seeing the material world as much more divine than I had originally thought. My answers to what it meant to be spiritual and what it meant to do humanity a good way weren't found in some space that you can't see, but actually uh, were part of transforming the space that I did see. Forgiveness, trust, kindness, repentance were all very human and day-to-day miracles that made the biggest difference in my life and were proven to be the most spiritual things that one could accomplish. We have this idea that in order to understand who we are or understand what spirituality is, that we have to lean into something that we can't see. And what I wanna propose to you today is that maybe what it means to be spiritual is a combination of pieces of that, but it also is an addition or a new recognition of who we are in the material world and how that in and of itself is spiritual. I had this idea like being human alone wasn't special or significant or spiritual. I don't know if you grew up, um, there were times growing up for me, and, and this is not everybody's experience, but there were times when I would do something, you know, like at church or I would do something in sports, I would accomplish something, and it was good. 
It made an impact. It made people feel good. Maybe they learned something. Maybe they were inspired. And I had a lot of spiritual leaders and people in my life come up to me and say to me in so many words, that's not you. That's God inside you. That's just God inside you. As if to say, you know, you really aren't special. You're really not really different. Humans are really just kind of a cracked, broken vessel that we tolerate. And the only way that we get any good out of them is if God gets inside of them. And basically that means humans don't matter unless something spiritual that we can't see resides. And there was a lot of people that just interpreted the good things in my life and say, that's just, now that's God. And I, 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 I kind of thought about it that way. I kind of thought, well, then something spiritual is something that you can't see. It's something that you just kind of get used. God kind of moves in your life, and then he does something, and when you speak, he's speaking through you, and when you do something good, it's not you. That's God, and so humans alone aren't special. They need this other part, and, and I guess where I want to take us today is that maybe that's wrong, and maybe being human is spiritual in and of itself. You know, there's this idea that some things are spiritual and some things aren't, right? People, you ever known someone, you're like, now that person's spiritual and that person's not. Why? Why? Why am I spiritual? Because I'm a pastor and some of you aren't because you, what, are a police officer? You're a teacher? Uh, Maybe you made some mistakes? Maybe you did something horrible. Maybe you say bad things. Maybe you cuss. No, seriously, that that line of demarcation has been made, right? You're spiritual. You're not. You ever thought about that way? Those people of faith, these giants of faith, Mother Teresa, she's spiritual and someone else isn't. Why? Why is someone deemed spiritual and another one not? What if everyone is? What if humans are? What about art? You know, you look at that song. I, I, I did that song. I had our team do that song. That song is a song by the Killers. Okay, they're not a Christian band. And there are some people that think, well, because they don't have a Christian motive or a Christian message, that it's not Christian. How? Isn't every beautiful thing under the sun created by God and artistic? Even if it's maybe crafted, and maybe if the message is off. Isn't there something intrinsically beautiful about everything that humans do? Can't you just hear a song and go, look at that, there's something special about that. Music, art, experiences. Some of us are are trapped into the world of believing that there are spiritual experiences and then there are unspiritual experiences. And what if what you thought where some of the most unspiritual experiences are actually the most spiritual things ever. And it's just when you are embodying your humanity. What if this fall, when the leaves fall, you pick up a rake and you move all the leaves into a pile? Does that sound spiritual? What if it's one of the most spiritual things you can do? What if one of the most spiritual things you can do is be a human Live your life, take the world around you, and order it in a certain fashion. 
What if people who don't believe in God are acting like God when they rake leaves even though they don't believe in God? What if there's more than you thought? What if what, you look, what you're looking at is, is, is way more special than you, you thought it was? What if the tragedy of life when things don't go well is not because someone doesn't give their life to Jesus, but because someone doesn't already know that they're created in his image? What if people don't understand how beautiful they are and that's why they never surrender their will to God? What if knowing Jesus is just something you have to kind of open your heart to because he's already part of you? I have a story that was, if I tell the story, someone asked me this story this week and I just thought about this story. Uh, oh, um, I think Wes and I were talking about fighting did you ever fight anybody growing up? Did you ever get in fights? And I said, I didn't get in many fights. My brothers got in fights, and I watched them. And you can ask my parents. When my brothers would fight with each other, I would cry because I was afraid. It, I didn't like the conflict, um, which is just ironic, but it bothered me. And uh, one time when I was in seventh grade, there's this kid that was in eighth grade, and I had a brother, Jake, who's in eighth grade. And this kid, I was carrying my new books. It was like one of the first couple of days of school. This kid's name was Grant Williamson. And I was walking through school with my books. And he pushed me just to be a jerk, just to be an eighth grader. And I slammed up against the locker and my books fell all over. And my brother, Jake, and my friend, Nate Young, ran up to Grant, grabbed him by the shirt, threw him on the ground, and started to punch him. You know, a little. I think they bloodied his lip. And then they said, you better never touch Joel again. That's my brother. You better leave him alone. And that guy made me mad. And I was like, I can't believe that just happened. But what happened is he came up to me afterwards, and he said, I'm really sorry. He said, I'm sorry I did that to you. And part of it, I think he was just afraid to get beat up again. But part of it was genuine because we played football together and we became great friends. What if one of the most spiritual things that could ever happen to you is just reconnectivity? Just humanity. Uh, you may not know this, but the Bible, in the Bible, in the Hebrew scriptures, there's no word for spiritual. No word. It never says, and then there was an apple, and it was spiritual. And then there was a, a, um, a book, and it was spiritual. And then there was a person, and they were spiritual. In fact, the implication of all of the scriptures, including the Old Testament, are that everything already is. It's already all spiritual. Everything in it, the whole thing. The people who do good things, the people who do bad things. The people who make great decisions, the, the movements that happen between city-states and nations, it's all spiritual, all part of a movement of something that includes the people, it includes the earth, it includes the decisions, it includes the words, it includes the motives. So what if, in our humanity, what is spiritual is not something that's there, Something we can't see. What if it's something that's here? 
What if it's something that's not then? You know, a lot of times we think that the spiritual stuff is gonna happen and we're kind of like in this carnal state. And there's this idea in the Bible and in, in, in church that like humans are carnal because they let their flesh lead the way and therefore they're not spiritual. You understand that that doesn't make any sense because the idea of being carnal is not the idea of not being spiritual. It's the idea of surrendering who you are to the wrong spiritual thing. Still very spiritual. What if it's not about a moment when God comes back, when God shows up? Then, one day, one day, we're gonna get this all squared away. One day when Jesus comes back, then we're gonna have something spiritual. Then it's gonna be spiritual. What if it's spiritual right now? What if it's not something that's ethereal and just an idea? What if it's material? Spirituality typically means the stuff we don't see. What if it's actually seeing what's right in front of us? What if it's both our form and the parts we can't see? What if it's the stuff we can hold up and the stuff we can think up? Oftentimes, Christians are looking for the supernatural and miss that the natural is already super. Beautiful humanity. One of the things that you have to do, which you can do in so many different ways, is just look at human beings. Just start to look. And just start to have your breath taken away by the amazing, beautiful creation that we are. Is that a wrong thing? Is it a wrong thing to acknowledge that in every one of us there's something so supremely divine and beautiful that whether we know Jesus or whether we follow God, we represent him, that we are images of him? The scriptures say that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. I heard a really funny preacher say, some more fearfully than wonderfully. (laughs) But the truth is that fear is not the idea of something not being nice or good, but the idea is that it's with skill and it's with power and it's with respect and it's with precision and it's with design that could not be more intentional. Humanity is beautiful. I mean... I have people in my kid's life, my kids came home, and there was a, an adult, I won't say their name or where they're from, but I almost lost my cool when I heard this. I had a, my kid, our kid, come home and say that so-and-so said that black people are ruining the world when the riots were going on. I mean, I almost ripped off my shirt and ran down the street to this, this person and just ruined their world. How can we live in a world where we don't understand the majestic beauty of all creation? How? All you have to do is look. And there's so many things you can look at. You can look at the brain. You can look at the bones. You can start to look at atoms and know that atoms are made up of billions of particles. Start to think about particles. You know what particles do? They move from point A to point B and you don't know how. 
They disappear. They've identified over 150 particles that make up atoms. They kind of disappear and reappear. They don't even understand that. I mean, you could get into the biology of humanity and it would just blow your mind. Doctors in this room that could sit up here and tell us things about the way that the human body works. It's unbelievable. A great friend of mine who um, our kids play soccer with, their daughter had some heart problems when she was born. And he told me just yesterday, he said our daughter had a great stent. She went to um, Philadelphia to get some treatment on her heart. And there's a valve in in the human heart that... What it does is it's a separate valve that's connected to the mother so that the blood can receive oxygen while it's in the, in the womb. And what happens typically when the baby's born is that it switches over to their own lungs and moves off the mom's lungs from this valve. And uh, she's, hers didn't close. So they had to go in and do a catheter and close that valve. <laughs> We're we're walking across the soccer field and he was like, it's amazing. I mean, the way that the the body works and all that. But there's one part that uh, I want to focus on because it's something I've recently learned that I think just gives us like one window. There's a million things that are so fearful and wonderful about humanity and how we could miss it. It's just we're not looking. And if you don't think that humanity is spiritual after you hear the way it works, you're just not looking hard enough because it shouldn't be hard. About five years ago, I was seeing a therapist who uh, was a guy that went to Notre Dame, really, really smart guy. And um, by the way, I think it's, we need to normalize seeing a therapist. Okay, like everyone needs, you all need a therapist. Everyone needs someone to talk to. You need, it doesn't mean that something is totally wrong in your life. It, it means that there's something wrong in all of our lives and we need to work through it and talk through it and deal with it. So I was meeting with this person, and this person, this guy's kind of cold. He's a nice guy, but he's kind of cerebral. And he, he said, I was telling him about some of my frustrations and some of my emotions. You know, that's what happens in therapy. You talk about your emotions. Guys, that's the best thing you could do. Um, and uh, he, he handed me this, this little tool that he got from an institute called HeartMath. HeartMath. And what he went on to tell me is that if I regulate my breathing, that it will change my experience in my body. That's all he told me. He said, so take this little tool, clip it to your ear, connect it to your Bluetooth for five minutes a day, sit down and breathe in and out. And he says, and as you breathe for five seconds out, five seconds in, you're going to be creating something inside of you that's related to heart rate variability. Heart rate variability. And So I kind of started to do it. I did it for a little while. I noticed that it was doing some things, but I didn't understand the importance of it, and I didn't focus on it long enough, so I kind of stopped doing it. And then, for my 40th birthday, my wife got me the Whoop Band. Whoop, whoop. And what the Whoop Band does is it's actually for, you know, athletes, for people who who are working out. It's for them to understand their strain level, their recovery level, and it uses heart rate variability to help you understand if your body is well enough, ready to actually take on strain, whether you need to sleep more, whether you need to rest, whether you need to exercise more, whatever it does. It, It uses heart rate variability. And so, Uh, Now I got this two heart rate variability things thrown at me, so I started to dig into it. And I went and I watched um, uh, a man from a Google science talk named Lane Michelle, who's one of the leading people on heart rate variability. 
And what he taught, and what I learned as I went and listened to five different TED Talks and read a bunch of articles, I learned some amazing things just about the human heart. One thing I learned about the human heart is that we all actually have a heart field. That the human heart, just get this, this is crazy. This is crazy, you, you, don't, you won't believe me. The human heart has an electromagnetic field that instruments in science can test. Your heart has an electromagnetic field that extends up to three feet beyond your body. They can test it. They can test that the human heart is kind of pushing out this electromagnetic field. And it's not just a field, it's a carrier wave. The human heart has an electromagnetic field that's a carrier wave. And it carries what you're experiencing in your heart into the world. It actually communicates your intentions, your thoughts, your emotions. They're carried by these messages in your electromagnetic field. And what they've learned is that human beings are sending and receiving messages from their electromagnetic field in their heart to other people. And they, they can tell you that when you walk into a room and you feel like everyone's upset, it's not just because you pick up on social cues and you see people's faces and you use your ears to understand the temperature and the, the things that are being said or not said in the room. It actually is because when someone is struggling in their heart, it gets communicated through their electromagnetic field to yours. What? what? You know this, actually, because you've experienced it. You've ever sensed something and you're like, something's wrong, something's off. You know, they found that the human heart sends more messages to the brain than the brain sends to the heart. And so what they found is that the human heart is the center of life. Imagine that, that your emotions, that your physical experience, what you're thinking about, and your faith originates in here. They actually did tests. If I tell you this, you'll, you'll get scared. You'll be like, you just lost me. Where people could perceive certain things that were gonna be happening before they happened because signals were being sent to them. Humans with this kind of heart that is a, uh, is electromagnetic field produce four watts of electricity. Yes, we are actually batteries. Sorry, all you Matrix fans, I'm not trying to, we don't, wanna, we don't want this to end up the way that ended up where we understand we get our, our energy tapped into to use for artificial intelligence. As humans, we actually expand and renew energy all day long, and we have the ability to produce energy from our heart. We're batteries. The number one way we charge our battery is through sleep. And the reason we charge our battery most through sleep is because of what happens naturally when you breathe. So here's what they've learned. If you looked at your heart rate variability, and heart rate variability is a simple idea. It's the a measurement of time in between heartbeats. And if you just looked at your heart, if you all came up here and you were on a machine that tested your heart rate variability without actually controlling your breathing or without actually doing something different, most people, when their heart rates come up on a screen and they measure it, look like this. And you can, you can go watch a bunch of videos about this online. And it looks kind of like this kind of incoherent, kind of jagged, up, down, kind of random 
thing that happens. But what happens after five minutes of actually controlling your breathing is your heart moves into a state of what they call coherence, which means instead of it being random and erratic, it starts to move into a sine wave type of pattern. And what they have found is that this pattern, when your heart is beating that way, that it produces energy, that it produces strength. They found, they found that what it does is it makes you resilient It gives you the capacity to prepare for, recover from, and adapt in the face of challenge or adversity when you breathe this way. So basically, anyone that says if you just think a certain way, you can change the way you feel, mm, you actually have to engage your breathing. And when you start to engage your breathing, you change the way you think, you change the way you feel, you change aspects about your faith, you change yourself from the inside out. This is amazing. The reality is, and here's part of the tension, is that we, all, we take 24,000 breaths a day and we really should be only breathing four to six times a minute, but 24,000 times a day is 17 times a minute. It's because we don't have efficiency in our breathing. We kind of, we're living in this erratic state. And you might hear all this and be like, is he talking like Eastern mythology? What is he getting into? People for thousands of years have figured out that if you sit down and you control your breathing, that it brings a level of calm into your world that's worth tapping into. Experts say that we should get 99% of our energy from breathing, but we actually only get 10 to 20%. What they have found is that this right here we're, we're not charging our battery. We're not being able to manage emotions. We're not doing well with efficiency. When we start to breathe like this, it charges our battery. It gives us energy. It gives us resilience. All just because you breathe. Five seconds in, five seconds out. The problem is that this energy isn't recognized and it's not harnessed. We don't think about it this way. We're always looking for the answer somewhere else. What if God, in his creative prowess, gave us all the energy we need just by doing the thing that our body does involuntarily? Breathing. What if we focus on our breath and we gain more? Now at this church, like I said, we ask questions. And it's important to ask questions. And I read lots of different theologians and I read lots of different thinkers. And I read people that are the most conservative theologians and I read some people that might scare you. Now, I know that there's a lot of people that grew up in the church that don't like Rob Bell, right? And I don't agree with everything that Rob Bell teaches. But I read some of Rob Bell's books and I've listened and watched some of his videos and they have been extremely informative. And one of the things that he taught that blows my mind is related to breathing. There's a story that you know where we find out that humanity is naturally spiritual. Humanity is naturally spiritual. When you start to take what we know in science about breathing and about the heart, and then we map over what the scriptures show us about breathing and about the heart, it starts to broaden and blow your mind. The story that you all know, the story of Moses seeing a burning bush, 
going to talk to God and God sending him to go and be the deliverer of the people of Israel who are in slavery. That story is a profound story as it has to do with breathing and with our hearts. What happens in the story is Moses goes to God. God tells him, take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. And then he says, you're gonna go deliver my people. Now Pharaoh, who, who is the king of these people and has them enslaved, is believed to be and calls himself a god. He's a god. And so Moses is talking to a burning bush who is saying that he has power and that he is God. So when he goes to Pharaoh, the question that Moses asks that's really a brilliant question is he's going, who am I gonna tell, uh, the, who am I gonna tell the Pharaoh, the one that calls himself God, sent me? Who, who am I gonna say I, I have the authority from? Who are you that I should go and say, hey, Pharaoh, let the people go because so-and-so said so. Basically, he's asking the question, what power do I have? What strength do I have? Why is there any validity in my word? Like if I tell him, why does that matter? What's that gonna do? And when God answers him, who, he says, who are you? Who, who's, who's the person that sent me? What, what do I say? God answers with, he says, I'm the Lord. Or he says, I'm Yahweh. Or he says, I, I am. And in the text, it's a Hebrew word, Yahweh, that we say, Yahweh. But in Hebrew, it's actually four consonants. And the consonants, when they're spoken out loud, sound like this. Hyod, hey, fad, hey. So Moses says, who do I say sent me? And God says, yod, hey, fad, hey. Letters that Hebrews believe make the sound of breathing. You see, breath in the Bible is the same word for spirit. God tells Moses, he says, you wanna tell him who sent me? Just breathe. Because in your breath is the manifestation of the power of God. Just in what you breathe. When you are breathing, it is the most spiritual thing you can do. The word for breath and for spirit in the Bible are the same word. In Hebrew, it's the word ruah. In Greek, it's the word pneuma. And it means breath. It means spirit. And Jesus tells us later that God is spirit. God has already given us life and breath. If we praise him for it, we've used his life in us to thank him for it. When you praise God, you're using the power of the spirit of God to praise God. It's bigger. It's naturally spiritual. Every move you make, every moment you take a breath, humans are living a divine reality even while we're sleeping. When a baby is born, for it to sustain life, what has to happen? What has to happen first? You ever had that moment right when the baby's born? We had a couple babies that they came out and they hadn't had their throat cleared and you, you know, they use the little suction thing and no matter what is going on, no matter what the doctor says, because the baby's getting a little purple, you get scared. 
And then they pull that out, and what happens? What does the baby do? Breathes. What does it do? Cry. What if actually what the first thing a baby does is say, Yahweh? When a person dies, is it that they just can't breathe? Or is it that they can't say the name of God anymore? Yod, hey, Vod, hey. We are created naturally super to do the super naturally. All we have to do is see it. In the first book of the Bible, God takes the dirt and he makes a man. And the word for Adam is dirt man. Literally, that's what Adam means, means dirt man. I do weddings, I did a wedding yesterday. I, I say in the first marriage, the man understood that he was dirt and it went well for the relationship. Because Adam means dirt and Eve means life. And so what you have is from dirt, out of the rib, springs the life. So if the man understands his role, then life happens. Dirt man, what happened? God took the dirt and animated it. You know how he did it? With the spirit of God. Breathed life into him. In Genesis chapter 1, 26, let's read this. It says, it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and the female. He created them in his image, with his spirit, with his breath. You know, if we all are born with the spirit of God inside of us, what if salvation is less about us just getting the Holy Spirit? Maybe that's a gift to guide us along the way, but what if the real process of salvation includes the recognition of the spirit of God already in your humanity? The beauty of God's creation. And when you recognize the gift of God, when you recognize your creation, you understand something that the Bible says from the very beginning, because in Genesis 1.31, after God looked at all that he created, God saw that all he had made, and what was it? It was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day, it was very good. And so, a very good God made a very good group of people who were designed to do very good things just the way that God did his good thing when he made us. When we think about who we are as creations, created in the image of God, one way to think about it is like an angled mirror, and I've talked about this before. Humans are an angled mirror, like in between two rooms. We're the angled mirror. So God is in one room, and then we are the angled mirror, and all of the earth is in another room. And here's the role we're supposed to play. God, his image reflects on us, and we are the projection of God's image into the world. And so when people see us, and they look at the angle, what do they see? God.
See, if you don't recognize humanity for its creation, it's just because you're not looking the right angle. Humans are the reflection of God into the world. And then what humans are supposed to do, very good creation into the world, is we're supposed to take creation and reflect it back to God. That's what we're designed to do. We're designed to be very good. We're made very good, designed to be very good, so that we can represent God in a very good way in our humanness. What if the rake, what if the rake is the picture of the most divine thing you could ever do? What if picking it up this fall and moving those leaves is like divine? What if, what if when we move and we pull things together, we're exercising a level of creativity that we didn't even know? Psalm 8 says this, could it, Psalm 8, Psalm 8 says this, when I consider your, your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which have set in place, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you should be mindful of them? Human beings, that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels, and what have you done? You've crowned them with glory and honor. Humans, just in their creation, are crowned with glory and honor. There's things going on inside of us. There's things going on through us. Our just creative presence is God's glory and his honor. And you did something with that. You made us to be a version of you. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds, and the animals of the wild, the birds of the sky, and the fish of the sea, and all that swim the paths of the seas. God made us like him in a very good way to do very good things. Listen, when you apply who you are as a human to the very good things that this world needs, you are doing the most spiritual thing you could ever do. And it's, there's no exclusions. Everything, all the things. Could it be that the most godly thing you do is take what God has given us and remake it? Remake it, fix it, heal it, help it. Take it to a new place. Give it new form. Turn it into something useful. Forgive someone. Feed someone. Listen to someone. Give a present to someone. Work hard. Learn new things. Give away resources. Create a new system. Sing a song. Write a book. Design something. Decorate something. Give undivided attention to someone. And the whole time, do it with the power of God's breath in you. Maybe what we all need to do is just sit and breathe and experience the power of God. Maybe some of you just need to hear today, like, if you don't think you're enough, if you don't think you're right, that's not how God sees you. You're made in his image. Whether you put a crown on Jesus the King, he's put a crown of glory on you. Whether you believe in him, he believes in you. Whether you speak his name, 
He speaks your name. When we recognize who we are, it's when we start to live out the way God has wanted us to. Maybe we just need to sit in the natural power of God flowing through our body and just know that the power of God is enough. Breathe five seconds in, breathe five seconds out and receive real power to go through your day to be human. You know, we have these kids in the back. We call them world changers. And that's not because we're pressuring them to change the world. That's because we want them to know who they are. That's who they are. Every one of us is. Everything we do. Made in the image of God means to be very good because we were made very good. Are we human? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Oh, Father, just knowing that you made us the way you made us, what you did in us, who we are, what's going on that's hard to fathom. Father, we worship you. How in the world did you put a crown of glory on our heads? Father, you have made us fearfully and wonderfully. Father, we need to spend more time just recognizing what already is, who we already are, and tap into that. Father, you, you came in bodily form. You came in spirit form. It's both. Your humanity, your spirit, all of it. Help us to have a broader view of ourselves and you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. We are in the process at our church of getting everyone to sign up for online giving. Just wanna turn that. We've had now like several people, more people, 10, 12 people actually change and go to online reoccurring giving. We want to be able to have every person that calls this place home sign up for online giving because of the pandemic and things changing. Our, our income is going down a little and we need to be able to manage it. So it's really helpful if you call this place your home, to sign up so that we can, we can make wise decisions and we can be good stewards and we can work as a family on how we manage our finances. If you already give reoccurring, you can keep it that way. If you don't, sign up on the app. That's where you should start for the first time. If you are already giving through our CCB and you wanna switch over, you gotta make sure you make that full transition the right way. And if you have questions, we can help you do that. But thank you for giving. Thank you for being a part of this church. Your giving, your time, your energy, it paid off. We're here. We got kids back there learning, knowing who Jesus is, trying to figure it out, building relationships with one another, with leaders that love them and care for them. And are, it's amazing. Let's keep going. Let's keep doing it. And uh, we look forward to seeing you guys next week for week two of Human. Thanks for being here today. Help.